What's good, everybody? Welcome inside episode 1071 of the Talkin' Audio Podcast. Matt Robinson with you, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Happy you've uh, chosen to check out the show today. It's a great show for you. Uh, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet is here. Arden's been on, uh, well, several times in the past, but we haven't really spoken to him since the fall, and a uh, lot's gone on around the Blue Jays. They have now reported to Dunedin for spring training, so... Uh, we'll have lots to get to with him. Uh, looking forward to that. Hope you are as well. Uh, we are on social media at Tall Can Audio. Give us a follow there and uh, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you're hearing us right now. A uh, couple of things I want to touch on just before we get to Arden. First, of course, being uh, the beer today. Uh, this is from Kitchissippi. Uh, the Kitchissippi Brewing Company, who we've referenced the last couple of weeks because they were running a fundraiser. Uh, in support of good friend of the show, Steve Bunda's mother, Bonnie, who uh, we've told the story before, but for those of you who are just checking in on this now, uh, lost her home a while back to a fire, uh, some pets. It was a horrible situation. And then was part of being defrauded by this high-bridge construction company here in Ottawa um, that was you know, tasked and contracted to rebuild her home. And uh, they just suddenly pulled up stakes and, and went under and... and basically fucked everybody who uh, who had a contract with them. So Bonnie is not the only one who is being screwed by this company, but she's getting it very, very badly uh, in the whole something to the tune of like $230,000. So Kitchissippi had stepped up over the last couple of weeks and they were donating uh, 50 cents from every can sold towards uh, trying to help out Bonnie and, and helping her recover uh, some huge losses here. But many of you will also remember that uh, there's a GoFundMe outside of what Kitchissippi was doing. That is still ongoing. The uh, The brewery thing is done. Uh, it's not to suggest you shouldn't get beer from Kitchissippi. They make very nice stuff. But if you were looking to do that in support of Bonnie Bunda, uh, that has ended as of this past Sunday. So uh, like I said, still go ahead, check out their beers if you want to. But if you're looking to support Bonnie, uh, the link for the GoFundMe is still in our show notes. And it will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, if you want to donate there, um, just visit TallCanAudio.com or wherever you're hearing us right now, there should be show notes that, that you know, where we give you the description of what's coming up, the guest, all these sorts of things, any links we want to provide for you guys. It is in there as well, the GoFundMe for Bonnie Bunda. So just wanted to make sure that stayed top of mind and uh, clear up any confusion. If you're hearing any of our episodes right now after February 19th, the Kitchissippi Drive is over. But uh, the GoFundMe rolls on. So uh, that being said, I do still have now a bunch of beer from Kitchissippi uh, that we ordered up in support of Bonnie and uh, in support of what the brewery was doing there. And this is one that when I saw it on the website, I got really excited about trying. This is called German Phil. Uh, it is a Munich Dunkel. And uh, it's a style of, a, of lager. It's a little bit darker than a lager, kind of red in, uh, in color. And many of you have heard me talk quite a few times about uh, one of my favorite beers in general is called uh, Raven from the Old Flame Brewing Company down in Port Perry, uh, not too far from uh, from where my parents have a, a cottage that, well, I like to post up at during the summer and enjoy several things from Old Flame, but Raven, that their dunkel, is one of my favorite beers in Ontario. So I saw this one. This is new to me uh, from Kitchissippi. I haven't seen this from them before, so I think it's new to them as well, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, 5.3%. Yeah, a Munich Dunkel. So uh, we're going to check that out. Okay, so on first pull, uh, it's nothing like the uh, the Raven from uh, from Old Flame. But that's not necessarily uh, a strike against it. Um, Very, I would say, closer to... Uh, you know, the flavor of a red than, than it is to a lager, which again, it, it is kind of a red lager. It is a darker lager, but this, if you like a red, this has a lot of that kind of maltiness to it. Um, so pretty nice on the first pull. Also want to shout out a couple upcoming episodes, uh, dropping for you either late Wednesday or early Thursday, Claire Hannah from TSN will be here. Many of you will remember that uh, Claire was supposed to be in last week. With Kyle Bukowskis from Hockey Night in Canada, uh, they were going to make their uh, Tall Can Audio debuts together, but uh, Claire was sent on assignment to Orlando. You don't turn down Orlando in February, uh, regardless of what the assignment was, but it was a big assignment. That was, of course, uh, Team Canada's uh, women's soccer team 
gearing up for the She Believes Cup that uh, went on strike and then was threatened with a lawsuit. Um, there was all kinds of news going on there. Just Soccer Canada at this point is a complete embarrassment uh, and a, a total abomination. And Claire was sent down to uh, to cover that. So obviously she wasn't available to join Kyle and I last Wednesday evening. She is around this week. So she will join me in studio on uh, on Wednesday evening. And like I said, we'll get that out for you either later that evening, but for sure by Thursday morning, uh, Claire Hannah will be here. Looking forward to talking to her. She's got a very interesting journey, both as an athlete and now as a reporter. Um, she's all over the place here in Ottawa, covering just about everything. You've now seen her on some Leaf broadcasts as well as they try and uh, move her through some some different organizations. Uh, looking forward to chatting with her. And then on Friday morning or late Thursday, you can see how uh, how this gets a little confusing sometimes. And that's my fault. I always tell you guys that it's going to be out. You know, the Claire Hannah episode will drop on Thursday morning. Often it comes out late Wednesday night. And if you're a Nighthawk, it's there for you. And if it's not, but I don't like to promise it on the day that the guest is actually here. Because you got to edit and put it together and, and see how things go. So... Um, Angela from Lake of Bays Brewing will be here on Thursday afternoon. So either late Thursday night or early Friday morning, we will drop that one for you. That one will be episode 1073. Um, and there's a funny story there, or, uh, you know, just uh, a couple weeks ago, Graham Creech, uh, from TSN 1200 had had me on the radio to talk a little about the podcast, a little about the Leafs, a little about, uh, the UFC, and Angela happened to be listening at the time and, and found out about our podcast and, and the craft beer thing and everything that goes into it. And she reached out. So why don't we get together? Why don't we try and, uh, why don't we try and do something? I'll bring in a couple of beers for you to try some new seasonals, maybe that Lake of Bays has coming out and, uh, and we'll just kick things around and, and talk a little about the industry, talk a little sports. We'll, uh, we'll talk all sorts of things. So that was kind of cool. You never really know who's listening when you're out there doing these things. So that'll be fun to talk to her. And like I said, we'll have that out for you by Friday morning at the latest. So that's what's coming up later this week on Talk and Audio. But that's not why you guys are here today. You're here to talk a little baseball today. You're here to talk a little Blue Jays today. And one of the guys we love to talk baseball with is, of course, Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet. So let's bring him in. How are you doing today, man? Hey, good to hear from you. How's everything? Things are okay. Things are all right. Uh, I know you're just uh, packing up, heading for for sunny Florida here shortly. That's got to feel all right. Yeah, you know, it's pretty good. Pretty good place to go in, in February. Can't complain. No. Um, I want to ask you a little about what spring training is like to cover for a reporter like yourself. But first, you're going to have a slightly different role on Sportsnet this year. We've seen you on TV before, but it sounds like we're going to be seeing a lot more of you this year. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what we can expect from, uh, from Arden Zwelling this season? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be joining uh, Hazel May in the uh, on-field reporter role uh, with uh, Sportsnet's television broadcasts. So uh, that's that's really exciting. Hazel's obviously uh, the best in the business, and she's going to do the majority of the work. Uh, but she cannot work 162. Right. Uh, I don't know that anybody can. So uh, you know, I'll, I'll pick up the uh, the games that she isn't working. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Does that mean your uh, your color commentary days on the radio are over? Or? Uh, no, I'm still going to do some of that. Still working out the uh, the scheduling on that. I might not do as much as I did last year. I want to say I did a solid, I don't know, 25, 30 games yeah. last year maybe. Uh, and I think this year probably a bit less, but uh, definitely going to be in there with Ben Wagner doing some color commentary on the radio. So that's really exciting too. Did you enjoy that? Oh, I love it. It's yeah. great. It's uh, it's like so, it's so cool. I mean, first of all, Ben is just like such a pro and so amazing to work with and just getting to sit next to him and seeing how he kind of conducts uh, the, the symphony that is a radio broadcast. <laughs> is uh, It's kind of just fascinating to watch up close and really remarkable and, and just seeing the way he goes about it is awesome. But then, yeah, having to react to in-game events live and then talk through things and share your perspective as things are developing in front of you, it's it's awesome. It's such a different muscle than, than writing or than doing a hit uh, on TV. You know, I did game two of the wildcard series and uh, I mean, that was a, you know, however many part saga, right? <laughs> like that was such an epic. So trying to, you know, talk through that. I mean, I remember just being emotionally exhausted after that game. So that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I typically prefer an epic that ends with a happy ending, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get that this year to be continued, I suppose. Um, 
why don't we? Uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, you know what what you're expecting out of the team this year. It's been an interesting off season. I'm interested in what uh, what spring training looks like for a reporter like yourself. But before we do, I, I know uh, you're familiar with where we like to start here. You've you've had a couple months to kind of recover or lay low, maybe vacation a bit. I'm not sure what your winters look like, but have you tried any good craft beer lately? Uh, so not lately. I start every year with a, a bit of a dry spell, okay. uh, kind of get myself uh, physically prepared for uh, the season that's uh, coming up. So I actually haven't had a beer this year, okay. uh, but I, I knew which show I was coming on to, obviously. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew I had to be uh, prepared. Uh, the one thing I, I did notice um, recently is that Leftfield Brewery was celebrating their 10th anniversary. Oh, nice. uh, and I don't bring them up just because they're a baseball themed brewery but they're actually my local like they are right around the corner from where i live so during the summers i'm ordering from left field all the time because it's just super convenient uh and the beer is really really good and their tap room is a really cool place to go hang out um i unfortunately don't get to go there during games that often because i'm often at the games Mm -hmm. uh but i'm told that like it's an amazing atmosphere during a blue jays game when they have it on so uh, would highly recommend left field. And I think it's just kind of a testament to um, them and the quality of their operation that for 10 years is a small independent craft brewery and one that doesn't have a super prominent location in Toronto. Like if you've ever been there, they're kind of down a, a side street here in the East end, not a ton of foot traffic, like not facing a busy street. Uh, and so for them to uh, have had the success that they've had over a decade now and still be pumping out really good beer and to be a you know a living wage employer and doing things the right way and strong stuff in the community is, is really cool. So I would shout them out for sure. Yeah, um, I've never been in, but uh, my buddy Matty lives – now he says he can see them from his front porch. So – um, oh, okay, I'm not that close. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm he, close, but not that close. When he comes up, he likes to bring some of their stuff, and uh, it's always been very good. Now, he says he lives inside like a Bermuda Triangle. He said there's about three breweries within spitting distance of his house, so uh, not a bad place to have set up shop, I guess. But uh, Yeah, Rorschach Brewery is around there, which sure. is... Yeah, Rorschach is great. They make amazing IPAs, and they do some really cool, like, creative, inventive stuff, which is uh, great. And then um, he might be thinking of Godspeed is the other one that's that close to right. there. Yeah. Godspeed does, like, amazing Czech lagers, like, classic styles done to style really, really well. Hmm. Um, so Godspeed's another great great spot and uh yeah and then you know being near left field i mean their their stouts uh are as good as anyone's for you know as as far as i'm concerned and uh, they've always got some interesting ipas and sours on as well yeah uh and like you said one of the great things about left field is they take a ton of pride too in their work of of like you said living wage like being a a a fair employer uh, a great place to work so um, awesome to shout them out for sure. And, uh, they make really nice stuff. And, and, and like you said, it's kind of fun that it's all baseball themed for, uh, especially this time of year, we're all itching for some spring baseball. The Jays will have somebody new occupying left field and center field and right field this year. So, um, <laughs> why don't we talk just a little about your general impression of the off season, maybe what you thought in general, if there was a philosophy that they went into, whether it was tied to the ballpark renovations, there's sort of been a bit of an overhaul to what this team looks like this year and and maybe the way they want to play. What have you thought of what they've done this uh, this offseason? Well, yeah, it's a good way of framing it because I think they went into the offseason saying, okay, we want to focus on run prevention, right? We've proven that we have a really good offense over the last several seasons and we have some really incredible hitters, but we could do a better job of preventing runs on, on the other side of the ball. And, and also I think the Blue Jays wanted to be a bit more balanced, uh, a bit more left-handed, a bit more versatile. Um, but it's one thing to want to do all those things, and then it's another thing to see what opportunities you have to do all those things. So when we're kind of looking back at an off-season with 2020 vision, it's very easy to ascribe this like master plan to it and say, oh, Ross Atkins and his front office group, they sat back and they knew they were going to go get Kiermaier and they knew Belt would be waiting for them and they knew the Varsho trade would be there. I, what's actually happened is that these are just the alternatives that were available to them because no team ever has their ideal off-season. Like the Blue Jays didn't have their perfect off-season. If you could ask them the day after Game 2 of the Wild Card Series, what do you want to happen this off-season? Ross Atkins, anybody in that front office would have given you a totally different 
course of events than what happened, right? Like their optimal, their ideal would be far different. Mm -hmm. But then you get into the off season and it's okay, which free agents are available to you at the value that you're willing to pay them. Who's willing to come to your market? Who's got, you know, a family that's okay with coming to Toronto? What trades are available to you? What other teams value your prospects and value what you're able to uh, give them in, in exchange for their players. So um, like there are these alternate realities in which Kyle Gibson and Andrew Heaney take the Blue Jays money and uh, then the Blue Jays don't do the Chris Bassett deal sure. or the Jays sign Michael Conforto and then maybe they don't trade for Dalton Varsho or say like, you know, 99th percentile outcome. They actually get Justin Verlander and Brandon Nimmo all of a sudden, you're not doing Bassett, you're not doing Varsho, you're not doing Kiermaier, you're not doing any of that stuff, right? So I think that the Blue Jays found, you know, via pretty meticulous planning and understanding of the market and just having alternatives and fallbacks, have found their way to improve run prevention and get more left-handed and more versatile and balanced, all those things that I that I mentioned. They just did it with the, the players that were available to them, with the opportunities that they had. And now the fun is, over the next six months, we get to see how it's going to play out. You know, it's interesting there. You mentioned sometimes the dominoes just don't fall in the way that you predict and you end up with plan B or C, and and maybe those aren't bad plans. They just weren't the way you saw this going. The one that stands out to me, I wonder what you think of of the order in which Kevin Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsho arrived in Toronto and just whether or not you think, had they been able to pull off the Dalton Varsho trade a little sooner, whether they still would have signed Kevin Kiermeyer, or do you think both of those guys would have stayed on the list anyway? It's a really interesting thought um, because I, what I remember is Varsho happening very closely after mm. Michael Conforto came off the board. Right. So I feel like those were the dominoes there. And, and Kiermeyer happened uh, a bit earlier in the offseason. And it's even funny to look back at the context of the Eric Swanson for Teoscar Hernandez trade. And how the the Blue Jays made that right right ahead of essentially the the winter meetings, uh, and then went into the winter meetings. were linked to everybody, and were trying to get something done there, and weren't able to get anything done. If they had known that they weren't going to be able to get stuff done at the winter meetings, would they have made that trade when right. they did, or would they have kept it in their back pocket for a while? Right, like it's it's fascinating to consider all of these alternatives and all these different ways that things could have broken. Um, like I kind of doubt that the Blue Jays entered the offseason saying we are going to sign Brandon Belt no matter what. <laughs> I think right. it got to a point where it was, hey, Brandon Belt would solve some some issues for us. Like he would help us. This is the alternative that we've gotten down to. But I don't think he was their number one top must-have uh, optimal ideal target going into hmm. the offseason. So constantly as a front office, like you were just evaluating, responding, reacting, gathering information, seeing how values are changing, seeing how markets are changing, where your values should be, even entering the offseason. I don't think anybody thought that Brandon Nimmo was going to sign for what he did. It was a, a, a princely sum and good for him, <laughs> right? And good for you know the Mets for spending it. Um, but I, I don't know that anybody could have predicted that. So you're constantly, as things are evolving and changing, you're just constantly adapting and trying to find your way through it and it is kind of similar in season as well as you lead up to the trade deadline you mentioned the Mets there and they've been all the talk here as camps have opened across baseball and just the fact that they have this owner now who's just a total maniac and is happy to throw as much money as he needs to at his baseball team and if you're the players you you love that I assume at least if you're one of his players um is he I want to be careful with this one but is he a problem for other teams, are, are they suddenly going to have to reevaluate? We've never seen this thing before. We all sort of have stayed in line, sort of stayed in the same general area. Uh, players have been frustrated at times with, uh, you know, some what that might look like in terms of collusion or, or whatever. But it's far more informal than that. But to have one renegade out there who's willing to just, no, I got all the money in the world and I'm going to spend it on my baseball team. Is that a problem for MLB? He's only a problem for uh, guys like John Angelos, who owns the Baltimore Orioles, and Bob Castellini, who owns uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Like He's only a problem for those owners who cry poor right. and who won't spend like he does and who, who are worth plenty of money themselves and have the means to invest in their rosters like he does. Um, and like obviously, like uh, 
enjoy quite a bit of revenue from revenue sharing from national streaming rights from Jersey, you know, patches uh, from selling MLB AM to Disney, like all of this money that has flown into the game over the last several years. I mean, these owners have benefited from it, which is to say nothing of gate receipts and local TV deals and all this stuff, but they haven't spent on their payrolls to the extent that Steve Cohen has. And Steve Cohen has come in and said, yeah, I have several resources at my disposal to win. And one of them is money. So I'm going to use that resource right. to try to win. And this is not a salary cap league. This is not, uh, you know, this is probably the most capitalistic league of any of the leagues, right? <laughs> More so than the NHL, than the NBA. I can pull that lever and I can use that resource. So look, Steve Cohen I mean, so what you gave Brandon Nimmo a uh, hundred and seventy, hundred and eighty million dollars or something like that. I mean, he has that in two or three pieces of art in his art collection. Right? <laughs> like, you know, his hedge fund, like that's a rounding error some days for them, right? So it's it's the the we see the uh the big flashy contracts and we see the sticker shock from what players are getting on the open market but we don't see what owners are earning right. so if there was a cots baseball contracts for owner salaries <laughs> every year uh i think people would feel a lot differently about uh some of the money that's being thrown around in the game no doubt uh you are heading down to florida in the next few days to start covering the team uh they're already there workouts began today i believe um and I'm just curious, what does a day look like for you when you're down in Dunedin covering the team and, you know, for spring training? I know before games begin, although I guess they start this coming weekend, it's, a lot happens early in the day. Um, you know, what will you be looking for? What will you be keeping an eye on down there? And what does your day look like? A uh, typical day would involve getting to the ballpark around 7.30. Uh, clubhouse is typically 8 to 9. So that's like clubhouse hours when the clubhouse is open to media. It's usually 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. So I, I'll pull in around 7.30 and just kind of get set up in the media workroom, collect myself, figure out what I want to go accomplish during my one hour of, of clubhouse access, have a little coffee, wake up. Uh, and then I'm in the clubhouse from 8 to 9 talking to guys, trying to get interviews, trying to get information, trying to, you know, gather uh, and do what I've got to do as a, as a journalist. And then clubhouse closes at nine and typically there's some sort of activity on field. Somebody's throwing a side session, there's live BPs or there's infield practice, or batting practice, whatever's going on. So you can go watch that. You can hang around the fringes of it, maybe talk to a coach or somebody from the front office who's kind of kicking around there. Maybe talk to just some other media members, just kind of hang out. Uh, if there's any work to be done in, in the morning, you can go back to the laptop, do that work. Maybe there's a radio hit. Maybe there's a podcast. Maybe there's a TV hit you got to do uh, on a typical game day. The game would start at 1 p.m., so you're heading over to the ballpark around 12 get there maybe a quick bite if if you got time but if you're rushing to you know scrambling to work before the game maybe maybe you don't have time for that game starts at one watch the first few innings typically the starter is going to be somewhat interesting whether it's a Bassett start day or a Gossman or Kikuchi or whoever track their start their outing how it goes usually they'll you know in spring be thrown only two or three innings and then once they come out of the game usually they're being made available during the game. So you kind of go down to the clubhouse in like the fourth or fifth inning to talk to the starter and kind of recap how things went and gather some information. You might have some access to the clubhouse at that time, just depending on the day. So if Bo Bichette had two plate appearances that day and came out and you want to talk to him, you could talk to him then during the game. You've got one eye on who you're trying to track down, the other eye on the game itself because it's still – being played mm -hmm. uh and usually it's guys with the number 79 on their backs so it's not quite <laughs> doesn't require quite as uh intent right. uh, a level of intent uh, attention as this maybe the earlier uh, game stuff does but if one of those guys is like addison barger or spencer horowitz well yeah that's probably someone you want to keep an eye on or if like ricky tiedemann's coming in in the seventh inning yeah you probably want to catch that too so uh, you're, you're kind of pulled in a couple different directions. Game ends, talk to John Schneider afterwards about everything that happened, talk to any players about what, you know, if there's just anything else, any other questions, anything else you have to gather, uh, do your post-game TV hit. Usually it would be, a if I'm in the analyst role, I'd be chatting with, with Hazel. This year I'll be in the Hazel role at times, so I'll be chatting with Shai Davidi or Ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, filing that content, and then if i got to write something, back up to the press box, 
write something, file that away to the website. Maybe there's another radio hit in there. Maybe we're recording a podcast. Now it's like 7 p.m., back to the hotel, quick workout, maybe, <laughs> if I'm feeling motivated, eat something, start thinking about the next day, maybe try to write something for the morning so I can get some content up early, or if there's something sort of bigger picture or feature that I'm focusing on, type away at that, and then uh, usually pretty beat by about 10 p.m. and, and in bed because got to get up the next day at oh, like yeah. 6 or 6.30. So that's the, uh, that's the typical rhythm of, of a day at spring training. You just do that every day for, I don't know, two three four weeks straight uh, wow um is that is that how long like will you be down there the entire time uh i'm i'm doing a couple stints okay so i'm going down uh on the weekend so we're, we're talking right now february 21st i will be down there on the 25th or 26th for a couple of weeks i'll come home for four days and then i'll go back for a couple of weeks okay. so i've got this hybrid role this year where i'm doing some of the broadcast stuff i'm doing i'm still doing some digital stuff some radio stuff so I, I've, i'll kind of be filling a different role each day that I'm down there. So when you arrive, obviously we'll see more and more stories start to present themselves. Someone's having a great camp. Someone got hurt. Somebody's come out of nowhere, whatever it might be. Things pop up. They always do. What are you, what's on your mind as you're arriving? What are you going down in, most interested in getting a look at early on? Rule changes is the big one. How guys are adapting to the pitch clock. Uh, and that's not only pitchers, like how hitters are adapting yeah. as well and how base runners are adapting as well with the disengagement rules with pitchers only being allowed to step off or throw over twice. And then once they've used those two disengagements, if the pitcher steps off and the runner moves back to first base, that's a balk. Uh, or if the pitcher throws over and the runner's safe, that's also a balk. So that's going to be interesting to watch to see the stolen base if activity. Out, though, right? If you get them. Yeah, if you get them, as long as you make the out. Yeah, but, okay. But that but doesn't, yeah. Okay. How many pickoffs do we <laughs> no, see? No, I see. I'm for <laughs> sure. successful. No, you're right. And especially in that spot, whereas the base runner, you know, yes. right, that this guy is going to be hesitant to step off or to throw over. Yeah, it's going to be you're a box. So. <laughs> but that's one, of, that's one of the things I'm interested to see, right, is sure. how that plays out and what that looks like. I want to see the responsibility of the catchers are going to have now to control that running game, to control some of those leads, to get signs into their pitcher quickly man chris bassett throws like six seven different pitches right on any given day uh if you're day jansen alejandro kirk you better understand the game plan and you'd better be like getting that call in quickly and be on the same page as them be because staring at that card you got tucked away somewhere and <laughs> well exactly once the ball's in chris bassett's glove if there's no runners on he's got 15 seconds right. to start his wind up so if he's shaking two or three times yeah. I mean, that clock is going to be ticking. So that that's going to be something I'm really interested to take a look at. And then, yeah, the, some of the base running stuff, some of the stuff with hitters, like some of the situations that maybe we're not even thinking about. So, like, say, like a hitter gets, uh, you know, brushed back on a, a fastball up and inside and, you know, gets knocked down even, and the catcher chucks the ball back to the pitcher. Is that pitch clock going to start right away? And is the hitter going to have to get up, brush themselves off, like – just kind of recompose themselves after nearly taking a ball off the face and then step back in and be ready to go with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. Like how is stuff like that going to play out? Um, there, there's all kinds of little intricacies to this that you don't really know how it's going to go until the ball starts flying until the game starts. So that's going to be a really big one for me. You referenced there, I think it was on your most recent podcast there at the letters with, with Ben Nicholson Smith, the idea that we may see pitchers, especially early on, you know what, I'll, I'll just I'll just take the ball rather than, you know, we're going to feel rushed. There's only four seconds left. I'm not into my windup yet. Screw it, right? I'll just, I'd rather have this be a ball than to throw it away or throw something terrible out there that he's going to smash. You know, those are little things I hadn't even considered until you brought it up that, you know, it's, it's going to be almost a, a case of, of managing risk or, or damage control that just, yeah, you know what, I don't have enough time to throw this confidently. I'll, I'll just, whatever, ball two. And that's interesting to me. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I think there are times where that would make sense for the pitcher to just say, like, you know what, instead of, and this would be with runners on base, instead of, like, I've used my two engagements, uh, stepping off or throwing over one time, one more time, right, and giving up the balk, it would actually, like, I'll just give up the ball. <laughs> That's okay if I'm going 1-0 to 2-0, right? right. Like, I, I, I can live with that. That is, like, the less damaging option here, right? Like, neither of them are, you know, a good option. You're being hindered in both cases. Mm -hmm. But 
I could see that being the case. I could see catchers being really active and throwing the bases a lot more active than they've been in the past. A lot of back picks being thrown to first base, um, maybe even second at times. Uh, and that's, you know, usually when you throw a back pick, it's not actually to throw the guy out. It's just to cut down on that lead because right. base runners get such aggressive secondary leads these days. And if you get a really aggressive secondary lead and there's a pitch in the dirt, it, it, you know, you, you can take an extra base. So you'll throw those back picks just to keep runners close. But also by throwing a back pick, you actually give your pitcher a little bit extra time. Right. Uh, Cause if you're the catcher, like the pitch clock doesn't start until the ball's in the pitcher's glove on the mound. So if you're the catcher, you throw a back pick to first, first baseman throws the ball back to the catcher, catcher throws the ball to the pitcher there's like three to five seconds in there that you've bought your pitcher to recover and just to give them a little bit of extra time and, you know, during a, a long plate appearance. So little things like that are going to come up uh, from these new rules. I'm really interested to see how they play out. Almost any sport that starts putting in new rules like this, you, there are, is the law of un, unintended consequences, right? And we're already seeing if, I mean, if you and I are talking about little tricks like that to buy an extra couple seconds, we've seen the manager of the Rays already say, yeah, we're working on some things about it you know, the, the shift moving into the shift as the ball is being released kind of thing. Like it's going to be fascinating the first few weeks to see who's coming up with what, who's trying this and that just to, to feel this out and see how it's going to work. It's a, I don't think a lot of fans have really considered what a large overhaul this is to the sport. There will be innovations for sure. And there will be, I mean, I promise you every uh, athlete at that level, when they hear about a new rule like this, their first thought is, okay, how can I exploit this? Right. <laughs> right? right. Like, what, what are the loopholes? <laughs> how can I do this to gain advantage over my opponent? Because that's how players are wired at that level. And honestly, that's how teams are wired. They have entire departments to focus on on these things. And I'm sure that they're targeting specific pitchers on opposition staffs that they want to be aggressive with, whether it's with leads on the bases, whether they think that like a hitter can get in their their head by really taking his time in the box or something like that. So there's like, I, I promise you that, that that work is being done. And yeah, there's all kinds of consequences that we may not even be thinking of right now that, that are going to arise from this. Um, like I kind of wonder, right? So say um, uh, a hitter takes a swing fouls the ball off right it's very borderline between like the right field wall the, you know foul territory and going to the seats right fielder sprints over trying to track it down doesn't get it falls into the seats right right fielder kind of goes sliding into the wall does the pitch clock start immediately or like does the right fielder have to race back to right. get into position right think about how much time if you're in like oakland at the coliseum <laughs> it's like quite a distance yeah. to get back to your position as a corner outfielder so is the umpire gonna have to delay the start of the pitch clock until that right fielder gets back right. in time you know um like little things like that hitters that have stuff that blows into their eye right like mm -hmm. at the plate and thing you know or a particularly buggy humid day uh you know and on the south side of chicago and there's bugs everywhere and everyone's sweating and say the you know the, the pitcher's got bugs around his face or he can't get a grip on the ball like how much leniency is there going to be for the pitcher to say, hey, like, I'm not going to be able to deliver this pitch in 15 <laughs> seconds. I don't have a grip on the ball. Like, I don't know where it's going to be going. Uh, little little things like that are going to be really interesting to see play out. Yeah, it's, um, you know, one of the things that we always read a little too much into in spring training is some of the, the early numbers or, or whatever. But can you think of anyone on the, the roster that it would be very important for them to have a spring, just even if it's just for confidence sake of, of getting up and getting going pretty quickly? Or will this be, you know, the, the type of, this type of group and, and so many veterans now that have been brought in, will this be a lot of just going through the motions and, you know, we'll, we'll see in April? Uh, there's, there's things you want to see. You want to see workload for guys like George Springer and Brandon Belt, Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, all three of those guys are coming off of season-ending injuries. Uh, I mean, Springer's, you know, it didn't end his season, but his season did end right. with a surgery. <laughs> uh, so, and yeah, Kiermeyer and Belt's seasons were interrupted and actually ended by surgeries. So you want to see workload from those guys, and you want to see availability and see them looking explosive and playing regularly and doing the things that they've uh, done when they're healthy. Um, so you want to see those things. You want to see Yusei Kikuchi in the zone, certainly. 
Um, like it's nice that he's got a beard and that he's working on a new pitch <laughs> and an arm path. All that stuff is cool, but you want to see him throwing strikes consistently. Yeah. You want to see him controlling and commanding effectively. So that's a big one. Kevin Gosman's delivery. You want to see him coming to that full stop in his delivery. That's kind of related to the pitch clock as well, because he's got that toe tap, right? That bounce with his front yeah, foot. Yeah. He's not going to be allowed to do that. Like he has to come to a full and complete stop so that the official who is actually regulating the pitch timer knows that they can stop the pitch timer when he begins his windup. So you're going to want to see him making that adjustment. Um, little things like Alec Manoa's changeup, which is something that he's been working on a lot. Can can he kind of take another step with that? How effective is that pitch? Uh, Jose Barrios's release point and the consistency of, of his mechanics and what he's they, been working on. Do you think they'd prefer he wasn't going to the Classic, uh, given the year he had last year, and he's going to go and play in the World Baseball Classic? Do you think they'd be, obviously they're not going to stop him, but they'd have been happier to have him stick it out through all of spring training so they could work with him on, on trying to clean up whatever's gone on there? I honestly think it can't hurt for him to get into that environment hmm. and to face like really high level competition early, right? The the thing that players bemoan with Grapefruit League games is there's no juice in them right. and there's no intensity. So it's kind of hard to find that adrenaline. It's kind of hard to find your your um, your velocity as a pitcher and your compete level and to really ramp it up. So I think if he goes to a really pressure packed high intensity environment early that can only be good for him in testing some of these adjustments and some of the things that he's doing with his mechanics and his delivery and seeing if he can maintain them and be consistent with them when there's pressure and right. when there's a bunch of fans in the stands and when the pitches really really matter uh so i actually think that would be a benefit for him uh he's had plenty of time all off season to sort of work on the adjustments he was in dunedin all off season didn't spend as much time in puerto rico as he has in the past okay. so i think he's spent enough time in sort of the controlled environment of a bullpen mound or, or a pitching lab and i think now it's actually time to go test this stuff against hitters to me uh, you know this it's going to be a good team but he's he's kind of the linchpin right is this going to be you know, the, maybe the best rotation in the AL or are they going to have to kind of massage their way through this a bit? Like a, his season is is just so key for them at this point. It's funny because he was the opening day starter yeah. last year and he's now number four, yeah. essentially, That's right? Wild. After Gosman, Manoa Bassett. So there isn't quite as much uh, pressure on him. And look, the Blue Jays were a 9-2 win team and a playoff team with him having a fairly lousy season mm -hmm. results-wise last year uh so you're you're certainly hoping for some positive regression to the mean from him and you feel a lot better about um about a jose barrios like being a lot better this year than say yusei kikuchi just because yeah. you've seen it before because there's like such an extensive track record there of him being a really effective and durable mlb starter so uh, and, and you also don't question, you know, the uh, the work ethic or the uh, the want, the desire, anything like that. Like this guy has been trying <laughs> to get out of this tailspin. I mean, all last year there was a different adjustment with every start, right? There was a different tinker. There was something different that that he was trying to. You know, he never quit last year. He never kind of just said, "All right," resigned himself to not my year, I'll get him next year. I mean, right down to his final start of the season, he was trying different things to be better and to pull himself out of it. So, uh, you know, th there is a lot riding on it for him, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that that he can come out of this and then be the guy that he was before. I'm looking at the bullpen, and obviously Eric Swanson will help, but it is, uh, and maybe, maybe late in the season, Chad Green is somebody who can contribute. That'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on, but you're not going to see him before, uh, well, certainly before the All-Star break. But when you look at, you know, what they've done, are you surprised they didn't do a little more in the bullpen? We talked all last summer and, frankly, the last couple summers about a little more swing and miss, a little more, a guy you can bring in in a tight situation and just mow somebody down. Um, are you surprised they didn't address that again or what do you think of the pen at this point you know one more high leverage back end arm obviously you would feel better about it if they were able to go out and do that um that would have necessitated some subtraction from the current group because the current group is pretty much set yeah. so you would have had to like designate a, a trevor richards or a, a mitch white in that scenario or even like think about uh, an ansomber tim Mesa. Because obviously, like Romano Swanson, Jimmy Garcia, Anthony Bass, those guys are locks. 
and then the, the four names after them, right? Tim Mesa, Adam Simber, Trevor Richards, Mitch White. Like that's your eight man group. Mm-hmm. So somebody would have had to go from that from that group. So I think the Blue Jays feel confident um, starting the season with with this crew. But of course, like a bullpen is a constantly evolving thing, and it is a fluid thing. And the bullpen that starts the season will not be the bullpen that finishes the season. It's kind of interesting. The Blue Jays don't really have the obvious optionable guy in there so like i you know i'm I'm kind of thinking through this right now as i'm answering this question like something almost has to give right with this bullpen group because you're not like so so say you need help at you know the middle of a long road trip in the first month which the season opens with a long road trip and you've burned through everybody and you just need someone who can give you some length who's getting optioned because Mitch White and Trevor Richards are both out of options. Adam Simber and Tim Mesa have options, but I, I you know, know. I, I don't know. I don't know if they are getting options. Right. And then Bass, Garcia, Swanson, Romano, none of those guys are going to go. So what do you do? It's yeah. kind of an interesting conundrum that I'm, I'm thinking about right now. So I almost wonder if something has to give with this group towards the end of the season because you just need somebody optionable in there so that you can be calling up fresh arms when you need them throughout the season. Uh, So we'll kind of see how this evolves over the course of spring training. I think a really big thing for the Blue Jays this year when it comes to relief depth is just going to be getting a positive story from within their system. They really didn't have that last year. So if that's Nate Pearson finally being healthy and being like a one trip through reliever, or if that's like Yosfer Zulueta debuting in the big leagues as a high leverage reliever or Hagen Danner or Hayden Younger, um, somebody from within this system, like finally taking a step and being an impactful bullpen arm, that would be really huge for the Blue Jays. Adrian Hernandez, another guy to, to keep an eye on. Brandon Iser, like it's some of the same names that I would have said at this time last year, and for one reason or another, none of them turned out. Like uh, the Blue Jays need to do a better job of of getting a good story from that group internally, so that they aren't perpetually going out at every deadline like we need to go trade for two, three relievers because we're not getting that upward mobility from within. It's interesting. There's a lot of talk about the lineup and they've added some lefty balance and that was something they needed to address. And the lineup's going to change. Well, there's 162 games, so like 120 times there'll be different lineups as we look at it. But do you have a feel for what kind of, in a general sense, they'll be looking to do in terms of how they want to break these guys up? Who, you know, do you leave Vlad, Bo, and, and Springer at the top, or is it important to get a lefty in between two of them somewhere? Like, just in sort of a philosophy sense, do you have any kind of feel on what they want to do with some of these lefty bats they have now? Well, you're right. The uh, The Blue Jays used 147 different batting <laughs> orders last year. <laughs> like, I thought fact. I was exaggerating. So, Apparently, I was not. I actually undersold <laughs> no, it. You, you didn't go far enough. Right. Uh, they used a different batting order in like more than 90% of their games. So that like it, that's going to happen again, right? The Blue Jays had eight different leadoff hitters last year. They had nine different cleanup hitters. They had ten different number five hitters. So, like the, this, this, this sort of stuff is going to happen throughout the season. We can sit here in spring training and say this is what they're going to do against lefties, and this is what they're going to do against righties. But then the season starts, and somebody's hurt. Someone needs a day off. Somebody's on the IL. So somebody's not performing. There's some matchup you want to exploit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The way I kind of think about batting order construction uh, is first and foremost, who are your best hitters? Put them at the top. So to me, that is Springer, Bichette, Guerrero. Those are my three best hitters on the club. I want those guys, one, two, three, getting the most to plate appearances over the course of the season. Because we know that like each spot that you move up in a batting order, you see 2.5% more plate appearances over the course of a season. So like the leadoff hitter will see 2.5% more plate appearances than the number two hitter over the course of 162, which is like a a meaningful difference over such a large sample, right? Um, You know, like, and that's like, what, 40, 50 plate appearances over the course of a season? Like, and I want my best hitters getting those plate appearances. So give me Springer, Bichette, Guerrero at the top. Now, I do think the Blue Jays will likely try to sort of wrestle a lefty bat in there, maybe in that three spot, and maybe like Bichette, becomes your cleanup hitter and he goes Springer, Vlad, lefty, whether it's Varsha, whether it's Bell, and then Bichette. I that's not the way I would do it, but it's the way the Blue Jays 
might do it. The other thing I'm really trying to prioritize is managing that first inning because the first inning is the only game, the only inning in the game you can actually control. The rest of it's out of your hands, yeah. right? So you know in the first inning which pitcher you're going to be facing. You know, like you can control who you're sending up to face him. You're not going to have that luxury for the rest of the game. So take advantage of it. So whoever the opposition starter is, put out your three best bats against that starter. I bet you your three best bats against most starters are going to be Springer, Bichette, Guerrero. There might be some nights where it's like Springer, Guerrero, Belt, right? Sure, or yeah. it's Springer, Varsho, Bichette. Like there's, there could be some nights like that. So I would look to optimize that first inning as well. Traditionally, the first inning is a very high scoring inning. Um, the most runs are scored in the first inning. OPSs are highest in the first inning. Hitters are their freshest. Uh, you know, they haven't been kind of worn down by fielding. You know, they're their most mentally alert. And fastball percentage is the highest in the first inning as well. Pitchers are trying to establish their fastball. So it's your best opportunity to see a fastball and hit it over the fence. So that's something else that I try to prioritize. And then my third thing would just be hitter comfort. If Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is really uncomfortable hitting second, that is something that you have to take seriously. Because we can sit here and objectively say that, like, number two position in the batting order is an MVP position, and it's a great spot for a, a bat like his. But if subjectively in the batter's box, he doesn't feel comfortable there, he's not going to perform his best. And your job as a manager is to put your athletes in the best possible position to succeed. So you either, you have to take that seriously, yeah. either by not hitting him second or figuring out what the impediment is to him being comfortable hitting second and getting him to a place where like psychologically he feels strongly about it. So those are some of the, some of the factors I'd be considering when when figuring out what of my 147 different batting <laughs> orders. <laughs> um, were you a little surprised that they haven't, and maybe they still will through spring training, that they haven't brought in another maybe righty outfielder? There was some talk that maybe that was what was missing for certain matchups that you'd look for a guy who isn't going to play every day but maybe has a little pop. Do you think that's still out there, or are they going to start with what they have? I think that'll be out there on like March 27th, whatever the last day of spring training is, 28th, 29th. Inevitably, there are players that hit waivers uh, that are interesting to you or like players that other teams don't want to DFA and they're looking to trade them so they can return something on them. We saw it last year with Zach Collins. We saw it with Bradley Zimmer. There's going to inevitably be those options available to you towards the end of spring. And the Blue Jays have the flexibility to open up a couple 40-man spots uh, by moving Hunjin Ryu and Chad Green to the 60-day IL. That hasn't happened yet. So the Blue Jays have the flexibility. They can create an opening for someone. They can, you know, find they can work a trade uh, towards the end of spring, or they can just pluck somebody off of waivers. So I would expect that that's how they look to address that. If if look, and if that doesn't happen, and if that individual isn't there at the end of spring, or you just don't feel that strongly about them. I mean, you've got the Nathan Lucas option, you've got the Addison Barger option, um, and you've, you've got the Otto Lopez option as well, depending on how you want to configure your roster. So there, there are some things there that the Blue Jays can do. Yeah, it'll be, uh, I don't know, this is one of the, I'm really excited to see Blue Jays fans for quite a while have been clamoring for more uh, spring training games on TV. Sportsnet's going to produce all 16 home well, Dunedin games and, and we'll go from there. So Good chance to get a look at uh, a little more of these. One of the, or a little more of this, one of the the coolest episodes of At The Letters that you do with Ben Nichols and Smith every year is your prediction show, and I'm sure that's coming up again this year. But let me ask you for just one, if the uh, if the wins number for the Blue Jays this year were to be set at 91.5, you going over or under? I would go over. Okay. Yeah, I would go over on 91.5 for sure. Okay, fair enough. Uh, hey, have yeah. you had a chance to check out um, Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellich yet? No, I've, I've heard of it, okay. uh, but I haven't read it, but just, I, I plan to. Just finished it this week. It's a terrific read for listeners not familiar, uh, all about the uh, Houston Astros cheating scandal and, and some other teams as well. Obviously, we're discussed at length Jeff Luno's career and the idea of the Astros being disruptors and maybe that concept being pushed a little too far. I don't know. It's, uh, it was an interesting read, maybe something to check out on the plane. 1000% like on my list. I, my reading list, dude, like is <laughs> so backed up because I just don't have enough time right. to get to books, unfortunately. But like, it's, it's for sure on, like, I'll never get through my reading list ever, but it's, <laughs> it's on my list and it's, uh, 
yeah, 100% something I plan to read. Uh, for the good listener, I'll mention that, uh, like I said, the, the links to check that out are uh, in the show notes. If you buy it through our link, of course, the show gets a little bit of a kickback. So uh, make sure you check that out if you're into such things. Man, I appreciate you making the time as always. I know it's going to be a busy season, so uh, we'll see how things uh, flush out. But I'm glad you made a little time for us before you headed down to Florida there. Yeah, Matt, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you happen to run into a, a decent craft beer or two while you're in Dunedin, let us know. You'll uh, you'll hit us up, I'm sure. There's a serious craft beer scene in Dunedin. Really? Okay. I, uh, it's unfortunate that I, I do this little yeah. dry spell at the beginning of every year. Well, like, it doesn't I sound like you have a ton drinking. of time for beer down there anyway. But. Well, that's part of it too, honestly. It's just like staying kind – of the grind of spring training, like just physically, uh, it's better to not be drinking every night. Uh, but there <laughs> – there is like a uh, a ton of cool craft breweries down there. Like even within just walking distance, there's a just a few streets in downtown Dunedin where there's legitimately like three or four really good craft breweries. And there's like a, a greater craft scene just around that area of Florida when you get into St. Pete um, and, uh, you know, even over in Tampa across the, the causeway. But like if anybody is going down to Dunedin, like pull up the craft beer map Right. Uh, and there are a ton of cool places to go and cool patios to sit on. And you can have a, a really cool little craft beer crawl down there. So I highly recommend checking that out. A spring training has always been one of those things that's been on my bucket list that I've never done. And, and just come down, see a couple games in that environment. And, and now maybe you've put this over the top for me, knowing that... Uh Something to do after each game. Go check out a beer or two as well. So uh, I, I appreciate your time, man. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck with the season. I know it's going to be a bit of a marathon for you, as it always is. Uh, but uh, thanks for the time, and, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll touch base again soon. Yeah, I'm sure we will, man. Thanks for having me. All the best. All right. Always awesome to talk to Arden Zwelling from Sportsnet. He's made time for us uh, plenty of times over the years, and, uh, and we appreciate that. Just before he heads off to Florida, talk a little uh, to cover the Blue Jays, and, and you'll be seeing a lot more of him as we discussed there. On television, so thank you to him uh, as always. Don't forget, coming up on uh, Thursday morning, Claire Hanna from TSN makes her Tall Can Audio debut. And Friday morning, Angela Thompson from Lake of Bays Brewing Company will be here. Both of those are going to be a lot of fun. Hope you'll stick around for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss out on those. Give us a follow on social media, at Tall Can Audio, and uh, we'll wrap this thing up. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Fuck, man. Thank you, guys. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.